RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MA Report Podcast. I am Jason Foy. If you're watching us on video, to my right is Daniel Galvan. Do apologize for not getting a midweek edition of the show out last week, because that, that is totally on my end. That's not on Daniel's end. That is totally on me. Had some things kind of come up here, but uh, I'm here with you. Daniel, man, as always, uh, great to be here on a Wednesday night talking a little mixed martial arts action with you. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, dude. I'm a little sad. It feels like finally, like the old guard that I grew up on is is finally crumbling down, right? Like the the, the last guy standing to me was Andre Arlovsky, and he just loses to DeLima. Anderson, the Spider Silva, is 47 years old, and it just – I'm just really depressed watching all my homies retire. You know, reading articles about Frankie Edgar talking about his last fight, Aldo going with it. You know, the other the week prior, TJ Dillashaw hasn't retired, but I mean, I I think uh, it's only a matter of time. His body's failing him, but uh, yeah, Jason, on this here Wednesday, or I'm very sad because time is passing me by. You know, you sent me this article of George St. Pierre uh, where the headline was George St. Pierre says he's finally free from UFC contract five years after last fight. I did not realize it's been five years. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago when he beat Michael Bisping. But apparently, I'm just getting old over here. Yeah, we're just in denial about time passing, our own mortality, etc. The good thing is the people we grew up on watching fight just don't want to give it up either. So you know, three decades in, we still get to see our our favorites fight like. GSP is now free. I fully anticipate he will compete in some form or fact. How old is George? How old is Mr. St. Pierre? 38, 39, I want to say. Oh, my God. He's still got 10 years left. He's still got a whole decade left. Oh, uh, oh he, is, he is 41. Me and GSP are the same age. Damn. So, yeah, you know, who will retire first, you from radio or George St. Pierre from combat sports? Oh, GSP. Oh, GSP. Come on. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's probably Dude, I can, literally, I can literally do this till I'm like 90 years old. We saw Hoyes Gracie fight at age 79 against Ken Shamrock, who I think if you tested his body, uh, he probably is the age 304 whenever they fought in Bellator. Look, it's going to be close. We're both on the production side of play-by-play sports. And generally speaking, I'm fairly young for what my job is. When I look at the 30 other two people in the NFL that do what I do, I'm one of the youngest. Yeah, it is really strange. I don't know why that is, but uh, I'm much like you. All my friends in broadcast are much older than me. They all have children. Granted, I guess I'm at the age where I could have a kid too, but uh, that's you know it, I'm a I'm a millennial. We don't we wait till we're in our forties or fifties. But uh, yeah, all my friends, um, they all got gray hair, and you know they're still running camera, they're still running the audio board, they're still technical directing. Uh, it makes me feel young, but yeah, I, I guess we might beat out GSP. But I mean, hey man, PFL. You know, you want to put on a pay-per-view? There's a pay-per-view fight for you. George St. Pierre, Nate Diaz. That's like the one fight that would get me to 
feel good about spending $50 is to watch a fight like that. George is one of those names, now that he's a free agent, that a non-UFC promotion can bring in and expect hundreds of thousands of pay-per-view buys. Like We just saw the scuttlebutt is, I think from the podcast Jake Paul did with his brother, he said anywhere from two hundred to 300,000 buys for his show. He talked about the fact that the timing was an issue, that he says that from this point forward, he's going to only be fighting in the summer when he's not going head-to-head with sports. He also said that well, a big issue was the, uh, the fact that Anderson – the rumors got out that Anderson got knocked out. But regardless, George St. Pierre is a free agent. That's a major deal. He's one of the mover and shakers. And there's a couple guys out there that are movers and shakers in this sport that are free agents. George St. Pierre and Nate Diaz are, are two big names. I feel like it's – and look at these quotes from GSP uh, where this was a quote to MMA Junkie. I don't know the exact date, but I'm glad I'm free. I can do whatever I want, but my days of trying to prove I'm the strongest guy in the world are gone. You know what I mean? I could do something, but it needs to be something well-organized and maybe something where the risk of injuries are to the minimum, not something that's too crazy because my days of competing are over. If I do it, it will be well and train my ass off. You never say never, but it needs to be in the right timing. We'll see. I kind of like when I I read those comments and kind of thinking where, you know, at GSP's age, I kind of feel like if it's going to happen, I mean, I mean, PFL, if if I was Don Davis, I'd, I'd pick up the phone and make and say, hey, George, what's the number? What would be the number? What would be the fight that would get you interested to come fight in the PFL? Because like you said, they need pay-per-view draws. But I kind of feel like if we do see GSP, I think it's more probably in the boxing realm because of potential massive payday than anything else. Yeah, but I mean, there's only one boxing fight that sells, and that's against Jake Paul and or Logan Paul. But I think, honestly, I feel like Jake has kind of passed GSP. Like for Jake, his next fight, is Nate Diaz and fighters that are better than Nate Diaz. Like, Nate Diaz is the last MMA fighter I think Jake Paul will fight. And if he beats Nate, which is likely, and then it's all boxers from here on out. But I, I, I get what you're saying. It's just that when I look at George, it's like, you know, the best part of his game is his ability to bring guys down to the ground, right? It's that combination of his striking with his wrestling. And not so much, I never thought, oh, damn, this is one hell of a boxer. He's a great striker, but in a celebrity boxing match, I just don't think that's the format that's conducive to GSP. And I do think if he does fight, he's going to want to perform well. Obviously, the biggest priority is going to be the bag, how much money you're getting. But I would be kind of surprised to see him in that boxing realm just because I feel like that's just not his game, Jason. I, I just think that's a that's a game he wouldn't perform well at. The thing that just came to my mind and I don't know how you could sell this and would it truly get people intrigued? What if it was submission grappling and I've got the opponent, the opponent to me is a no brainer. Who? Habib Nurmagomedov. Oh yeah. That's a good one. That's a good submission grappling match. Yeah. 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 I think that's a, that's something people would buy and and people would watch. I mean, that's a super fight that, uh, I would fork over the money to watch that. I I would rather pay 50 bucks to watch that than pay 50 bucks for the PFL pay-per-view. If that's truly what is going to be their pay-per-view price point. Yeah. If that's the price point, that's crazy. I mean, that PFL pay-per-view just looks like a 
a normal PFL finale card. I mean, there's there's no difference. And, uh, it, you know, they still haven't released the price point. I think they might not tell you. I think you might have to buy it. And then once you buy it, you'll get the receipt and they'll tell you. That's an interesting strategy uh, that, they, that they may be going about doing. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I look, that sounds great. I mean, GSP Habib, two of the top three fighters of all time, maybe top four. Like, to me, my list is, is GSP, Anderson, Habib, and um, John Jones. Those are my top four. So they're in the mix, uh, and, and that would be interesting. But uh, I definitely think George, with his comments, has left, has, has left the door open on competing again. And I do think going forward there will be a, a GSP fight that we'll be talking about. It is intriguing that we're three weeks out from that PFL pay-per-view. We have no price point. I I went on the ESPN app earlier this week because it will be an ESPN Plus pay-per-view. And I was like, oh, maybe see they put something there and just no one noticed it. And I went through the app. I'm like, yeah, there's no price point there. I I did see on on the PFL social media they were doing 25% off tickets. I went to Ticketmaster, and I'm like, it seems like they're doing good on on ticket sales i mean i mean you're at the hulu theater so it's not it's it's not like they're going in msg they're going to hulu theater which i think is like two thousand seats 1500 seats i mean it's not a huge venue um i, I did see they were uh because i went on the Ticketmaster site they were doing that uh you know buy three get the four free which i've seen wwe does that a lot for their events to, to fill in the arena but um it, it's it will be interesting when that price point comes out. I wonder, there was part of me that said, maybe they're waiting to see what that Jake Paul Anderson Silva pay-per-view did and maybe say, maybe maybe they were thinking 60 bucks, which was the Paul Anderson. I did not, I did not order the Paul Anderson fight. I just, at the end of the day, like, I sat on my couch on Saturday. I watched, I watched Bellator. I watched the UFC. And then I just, I sat there and watched college football, man. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame you. It was worth it, I think. I, I really do think the fight was pretty good. Like, I enjoyed it. And Anderson, the thing about Jake Paul is, like, people never want to give him credit after he wins. Like, it always becomes, yeah. well, he beat a 47-year-old. And, and and Anderson, obviously, a prime Anderson Silva, I think, wins that decision. I think, for sure. Because it was a close fight heading into the eighth round. And then Jake kind of punctuated it by knocking Anderson down. So, the event itself was good, right? You had like a really good boxing match in the co-main event, and then uh, Uriah Hall beat Le'Veon Bell. The product itself was good. Was it worth the price point? No, I would say it, it wasn't worth the price point. I, I don't feel good about about the um, you know when I get the debit when I get the debit bill. I, I don't feel good about the fact that they spend that much money on on basically just one freak show fight, but. Overall, I thought it was a good product. I mean, it was the most memorable thing of the weekend, Jason. But there was some stuff on, on UFC. And and really, that Bellator main event was, was really surprising result there. And, and it's it, it shows you in Bellator, and maybe this parlays into Josh Thompson kind of. Um, but this is what it shows you is just how many good fighters there are that we don't have a, a good sense of. Like the the, the man, Mansar Barnawi uh, – just went up against Piccolotti, Jason, and just schooled him on the ground. Oh, and bro. it's just like there are, there are so many great fighters that aren't in the UFC, aren't in Bellator, aren't in PFL uh, that are just world beaters. And it just kind of shows you that that is the case. God, he, he looked amazing as Piccolotti. I mean, just, I mean, went in there and just showed. I mean, he, he was the better guy in there. I actually, not to rub it in, I was watching something else on Saturday, too. 
Yeah, you were you were watching the uh, the Real Housewives of Orange County, right? No, 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 no. no. What were you watching? I mean, I, I feel like I gotta get my Magic Number Five jersey at some point. Paulo Banchero, just schooling fools. I, I know you as a Rocket fan, you're just sitting there going, "God damn it, he should have been a Rocket." Yeah, no, it's okay. I don't want him. To, I don't want to win any games as a Rockets fan, Jason. All right, I want to lose every game. You know, the Brooklyn Nets might beat us, but uh, I'm just glad I'm not a Brooklyn Nets fan, and I'm I'm hoping we get that Wemben Yama. But congratulations, you did get the best player in the draft. He looks like an absolute animal, and so I'm happy that you are happy. Uh, now, you, you know what's going to be hilarious in the NBA, right? What's that? The Lakers are going to win the lottery. That you know what? Be... You know you know why that's hilarious. Oh, they have to give their pick away, right? The Pelicans can pick swap. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? You suck so much. You win the lottery, and then a trade from a couple of years ago screws you out of potentially a generational talent. That would be crazy. I mean, the Lakers might have to shut things down if that happens. I mean, that is just the worst luck of all time. I mean, that's like Kevin Randleman slipping and knocking himself out backstage type of luck. Yeah, but that would be the most. I mean, the NBA, the NBA this year is basically tragedy porn. Like that's what the NBA is. It's just tragic. Every day I go on the Reddit's, and I and you know me and you are now big redditors. Uh, I go on the NBA Reddit, and it's just always tragedy. How many shots did Russell Westbrook miss? Did Kawhi Leonard play today? What bat? Crap! What bat? What crazy conspiracy theory is Kyrie Irving coming out with? How many shots did Ben Simmons put up? Was it two? It's just every every day. It's just what is going wrong with uh, the Nets or the Lakers? No, no. Did you see that video last week when uh, Kyrie passes the ball to Ben and he yells, "Shoot it!" Yeah, and he's yeah. like in the lane. He still passes. I'm like, oh man, oh man. Yeah, Kyrie Ky- Irving is is the Bryce Mitchell of uh, the NBA. Except for Bryce Mitchell's better than Kyrie Irving, but still. Yeah, we were supposed to get Bryce Mitchell this weekend, but uh, that fight's not happening. His opponent, uh, you know, pulled out of the matchup. You know, you mentioned about Josh Thompson, and and this was actually something that I was going to talk about on last week's podcast. And last week, Bellator announced that on New Year's Eve they're doing a co-promotion event with Ryzen. I think when we're talking about co-promotion in MMA. Um, Bellator doing a co-promotion event. We wish the other promotion was the PFL, not necessarily rising here. But but Josh Thompson, uh, he had these comments on his podcast. I saw it come up on his Twitter timeline. We'll let everyone hear what he had to say here and uh, then kind of comment exactly on what he said. This right now is up to the media to do their fucking job. Their job is their job is to promote the shit out of this to let everyone know. That this is what we've all wanted. How how quiet are you guys going to be now? This is your job to promote the shit out of the fact that two huge promotions with two extremely talented, a group of talented fighters are mixing up with each other and bringing you some of the best fights you're going to see in two of the biggest promotions. It's up to them. Are you all just going to sit back and bite your tongues because you know you won't get credentialed at the next UFC if you guys cover this and build this up? I just want to know. I'm calling all you fuckers out. I'm calling every single one of you guys out. Are you going to do your job? Are you going to talk about these two big promotions, champions versus champions, number one contenders versus another champion? They're bringing their best guys together to put on a show for everybody, for the fans, for the media, for everybody. Are you guys going to sit quietly? Are you guys going to talk about it? Are you going to do your job? 
That's my question. I'm throwing it out there to all the media. Are you guys going to do your job? I get what Josh Thompson is saying there. Now, I think there's got to be a caveat to all this too, Daniel. Josh Thompson is a Bellator broadcaster. I, I think that has to be thrown out there. But I also, I look at it and say, Josh, like, I get what you're saying. I get you're saying, come on, let's let's give some promotion to these guys. But at the end of the day, someone who runs MMA Junkie, someone who runs MMA Fighter, or all the billion other MMA websites out there, they care about they care about clicks. And like, if I walk into a bar on Saturday night while the UFC is going on, could people watching the fights, clearly watching the fights, MMA fans, could they name two Ryzen fighters? Look. I um I looked at this card this morning. I did when we talking about what we wanted to talk about on our show, and I saw the whole card. And if you put a gun to my head right now and you told me who is Kyoji Horiguchi fighting, who is AJ McKee fighting, if you asked me who they were fighting after seeing the card this effing morning. I would tell you, I know Robert D'Souza's on the card. And then my brains would be all over this wall. Josh Thompson is full of it with this quote, okay? I tell you what, first and foremost, I got so many points here. First and foremost, okay, um, our job is not to promote your cards. Mm -hmm. We aren't the PR. We aren't out here telling people that Fabricio Verdum is the Tom Brady of, of mixed martial arts. Right now, he might be, but not then. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that to you. We are promoting. Our job is multifaceted. Some people are newsbreakers. They break news. Some people do mm-hmm. opinions. We do a podcast once a week. My role is just to kind of give my thoughts. You, in addition to doing the podcast, also do a show on the weekend interviewing fighters. My job is just to come on here and talk about what's interesting. I'm not getting credentialed by anybody. I'm not going to any events. I'm just a fan. That's reality. Also, why is he all up in our business? And it's the first week of November. This card's the last week of December. I can't tell you what is on what card three weeks from now on the Apex. Okay? This is a week-to-week business. The only thing we really talk about in a long-term standpoint are UFC pay-per-views. Also, he talks about it's a huge MA promotion going up against a huge MA promotion. In the landscape of 2022, there's only one huge MA promotion, and it's the UFC. I hate to break it to you, but that's just the case. The Bellator product over the past few years hasn't been as interesting as it was during the first six to seven years of its history. Uh, Ryzen is putting on good cards, but I know you more about Dream than I did about Ryzen. It's just, it's a great card. I know the champions that are fighting the Bellator guys are really talented. I'm just not aware of it. And I'm not going to come on here and do some propaganda and pretend to be excited two months out for this fight card. It's uh, and, and my last point is this, I told you this, this idea that this fight card isn't being covered because people are scared the credentials are going to get pulled away is absolute BS. You think Dana White wants people talking about a Jake Paul fight against Anderson Silva? Hell no. And what was on every MA website? Coverage of that. So the idea that the credentials is the reason why people aren't talking about Kleber, Coke, Erbst, and Su Chul Kim on December 31st, that is complete BS. 
it's all about what gets clicks. I mean, that, that that's the that is the the as Draymond Green likes to say, the new media world we live in. It is all about what gets clicks. I mean, like I, I would say it's Josh Thompson. Like Josh, before I just looked about thirty seconds ago, I had no clue who was the main event of the next fight night car on November the nineteenth. Daniel, <laughs> I'm guessing you have no clue. I'm gonna tell you, it's a heavyweight matchup. Okay. Could you name? They're both in the top ten. Could you name them? No, I can't. Um, look, who is it? Uh, Spivak. Yes, yeah, Sergey Spivak. Oh, and- <laughs> I got one. I got one. Oh God, hold on. Spivak and um. Oh God, I can't even begin to guess. Is it Rosen Strike? No, Derek Lewis. Ah, damn! Derek Lewis is already back in there. Yeah, hey, it's not in Texas, is it? It's in the Apex, please. Tell no, me it's in the Apex. Apex. Yeah. Okay, thank God. Um, yeah, Co- Cody Brundage is taking on Adolfo Vieira. It's listed as a co-main event. Uh, Cody Brundage is actually scheduled to be on the show on Sunday. But I mean, like, look, I I get what Josh is trying to say. He's trying to talk up Bellator, but at the end of the day, like Josh, like that's Bellator's responsibility to promote a fight card. It, it's it, you know, as the media. We should talk about it, but it's not our job to promote the fight card. Yeah. yeah. We, we will talk about it the week of, but the difference is simple. Between everybody in the media and Josh Thompson, there's one really big difference. When you look at our bank statements, there's only one person getting paid by Bellator, and it's Josh Thompson. It is That's his true. job to promote it. Us, no, no we're just going to talk about what's good. That's what you got to do. The card will be interesting. I'll do my research. I'll get excited about it. I'll look up all the fights. But in, in the MMA landscape, for my personal MMA diet, I am watching every PFL. I'm watching every Bellator. I'm watching every UFC. Everything else, it's possible. I might watch a Ryzen main event. I really enjoy watching the YouTube channel of Ryzen. They, they make some really good documentary-style mm-hmm. videos. But in a landscape where we have so much content each and every week, Ryzen FC to a regular American mixed martial arts fan doesn't mean a lot. KSW, I know, means a lot in Poland. Here, I don't know much about their product. The same goes for Ryzen. For 1FC, I'm more familiar with 1FC, but I'm still not an expert. I'm certainly not an expert on Combate. So I, I'm glad they're doing the promotion versus promotion concept. We'll talk about it. But again, I, I think uh, you know Josh is, is off base with his comments and is ripping the media. It's really easy to rip the media. You know, they're just a random straw man that people can pick on. And, no, uh, it, it, I, yeah, it has been, and and my my work life has changed a lot over the past couple of weeks. So life is pretty crazy for me right now, just in terms of of my my day in day out things that, that I have to get done for for the companies that I'm I'm involved with. And, but one of the things that, you know, it's really allowed me to kind of take a back seat on the MMA media side of things. And, you know, for, for a long time, you know, I would hear people in the MMA community, you know, more fans that would say, oh man, MMA media is just too negative. And over the past couple of weeks, sitting back, like I'm starting to understand why people have that opinion. It seems recently the biggest thing to uh, rail on the UFC about is Dana White's slap fighting championship, which I will tell you straight up. 
I've enjoyed watching those slap fighting championship videos over the years on my Facebook and Instagram timeline. Not good deny it. Now, look, I understand that, you know, if we want to have a conversation about, Hey, you're just letting someone slap you in the face until you get knocked out. Okay. I get all that. Um, you know, I've, I've seen people come with this criticism about UFC apex cards, but like there's people in the MMA industry that like, I feel like they're just seeking negative news. And they're not telling both sides of the story. Like, if you don't understand why the UFC is doing cards at UFC Apex, you clearly don't understand business. But I do understand from fans now, just kind of monitoring things a little bit more, of why fans go, there is a small section of the MMA media that just seems to only want to find negative news about the UFC and not give us both sides of the story. The, I will say... What I agree with what you're saying is I can see a headline on a particular website and I can probably tell you who the writer is. I think that's true. The tone, etc. To 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 battle back on what you're saying about, you know, people going on the MMA media sites and seeing a lot of negative headlines, my pushback on that is I feel like that's more of a society problem. Like on the internet, I strongly believe, unfortunately, the internet is largely negative. You go to the front page of Reddit, you will find heartwarming stories, but a lot of it will be negative. You go on Facebook, a lot of it will be negative. People, you know, go in the workplace. And so a lot of the conversations in the workplace tend to be negative, tend to be gossip, tend to be that person sucks. For some reason, we love being negative. We don't know why. I don't know why I'm not a psychologist, but I do feel like that's the general tone of how things are covered. And I, I don't necessarily know why other than it gets more clicks. It's more interesting. It provides more conversation. I, I, I think it's it's the dog eating itself, and it's not just MMA media. It, it's the way we take in media. It, the dog eating itself in that people are much more happy to talk about uh, for instance, a, a crappy MMA podcast with two people being stupid than a good one, you know, that's more likely to go viral. Like, I, it's one of those things of, I, I believe if you're, you know, someone like us or you're working for a, a website that you should be critical, but also you got to give people their credit when they're doing stuff. Well, like Daniel, I feel like there are certain reporters and one reporter that sticks out of my mind, I don't know if he still writes for Bloody Elbow, I think he does. Like, Daniel, we can have Dana Wyatt in, in a third screen on this video. And Dan can be like, hey, Jason, like that four to say hoodie you got on. And you know there are people going, oh, Dana lying again. Like, there's yeah. people who I, I just, I feel like it, it's like they they just... They hate Dana White so much that they could never give Dana White his roses when he does things that are good. Like when you you hear fighters about how they'll say, you know what? I've never talked about this before, but Dana White helped me out. Like, I think we should hear about those stories just as much as we hear about stories where, you know, the, the fighter w was mishandled improperly. Yeah, I, I do think that's another problem we see. And, and again, it's not just the MA media, but it's the way things are covered is a lot of people get care become a lot of people become caricatures. Man, I screwed up that word so bad. But a lot of people become like this idea, and coverage can never really deviate from this idea. People have an idea of Joe Rogan, and 
you're going to see all the same articles about Joe Rogan. People have an idea about Dana White, all the same articles about Dana White, but people in themselves are not ideas. They're, they're, they're different. They're, there's upsides and downsides. You know, me personally, there's a lot of stuff Joe said about COVID that I didn't agree with, yeah. but I still enjoy listening to his podcast, and I accept that there are things he does and things he says that I don't like, but there are things he says and things I I, I, I enjoy listening to. And so what you're saying, I think, is that you want to see more, um, I don't know, more uh, like a, I, I'm, the word is, is escaping me, but it's like a, a depth of conversation about people, giving them a fair uh, coverage in terms of letting them be defined by their actions and their words, not you already coming to a conclusion and then shaping what they do into the result that you want. Not, not you. Yeah. Like basically I get that's what you're saying, right? Fair coverage is the way I would put it. But over the past couple of weeks and, and like, look, yeah, I mean, yes, I do a podcast just to interview fighters, but at the end of the day, I'm a combat sports fan and I've just, I've started to really take in things I've heard from fans over the years. And I just think that there are some people who cover this sport that I feel like they push a more negative mindset out there where at the end of the day, what do I want to do on a Friday night or Saturday night when I'm sitting on my couch, Daniel, I want to see great fights. I don't, I don't care about some of the negative headlines we see out there. I just, sometimes I, I look at how things are presented and, and look, I think it's a media problem in general, not just a main media. It's a media problem in general where there's that feeling of, Hey, neg negativity gets clicks, but like I can sit here, I can say things I don't like about Dana white, but also if Dana white does something well, you need to, you need to talk about it. Like you, you it just can't be one side or the other. Yeah, yeah, because it's not, oh, we're always going to, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and roses. It's important to have that ability to navigate between both things because negative coverage can be incredibly valuable when it comes to serious topics like fighter pay, fighter safety, and things of that nature. That's necessary and important for people to know because, you know, that's stuff that – the UFC would love for us to not talk about. They would love for us to not talk about fire pay and to continue <laughs> to keep that down. They don't want us to talk about fire pay. Yeah, exactly. And it's important that that's covered. It's important that the great work that guys like John Nash do is, is brought there, but people won't listen to that if they believe that the coverage is biased. And if you give them reason to believe it's biased, then that's not good because Dana is going to go out there and he's going to tell people, and media is biased, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's our job to not lose that trust. And at times you go to these websites and you see articles and you can see why that trust is lost. It's important to protect that trust because when you bring harsh realities that are not positive stories, it's important that people actually listen to them because if they're not listening to the real stories, then that's a major problem. And, and that also extends to real life and real news topics yeah i mean it's like I, i've talked about this all the time of i, I wish when i was younger and in, in covering the sport that i would have gone out to sports bars to watch pay-per-views because man you get a much different perspective of sitting at a sports bar as opposed to sitting in front of your television set with your twitter open 
Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a different experience of taking in mixed martial arts because it gives you what I believe is a more realistic of how people view this sport as opposed to getting yourself outside that bubble. Yeah, it totally, totally. The bubble is different than the reality of how the majority intake the sport because the majority of people are casual fans. The majority of people uh, watch things sporadically and only have vague ideas of who people are and what matters, right? The majority of people probably don't care about the income of fighters, much like I, a casual fan of movies, do not care about the actors in the movies. I just go and watch Black Panther because it's Black Panther. There's a bubble in Hollywood that I'm sure talk about all the dynamics, all the background stuff. That's not something I care about, and that's not something most casual fans care about. So it's important to, while we live in this bubble, to get your head outside of it and smell and see what matters. Because it's important because when you're talking about business, that helps you kind of predict and 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 what will do good business, right? It, it lets you know that this fighter right now isn't resonating, whereas somebody like Sean O'Malley is, uh, you know, clearly resonating with people. Somebody like Patty Pimblett, clearly a business attraction. It's that type of stuff, right? So by the way, next week I'll be in uh, Munich, Germany. By the way, we will have a midweek edition of the podcast. Me and Daniel are actually going to record it early on in the week, but I could, I could, Stay up to watch UFC 281 next week in Munich. Daniel, I'm not. Because yeah. it'll be on like like 4 o'clock in the morning. And sorry, I'm trying to get some sleep. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll, watch it. It on, I'll watch it on the flight back to Tampa from Munich. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about the other day. I was like, I could experience what it's like to be a European MMA fan. But I was like, no, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Yeah. Hats off to all the European MMA fans that have been doing it, dude, because uh, I couldn't do it either. I mean, I couldn't be doing that, watching it live. I got a game broadcast the next day. Yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) And, dude, you know, we talk about the oversaturation of UFC events. You know, uh, when I first started watching, you're a European fan. Maybe it's two times a month or once a month you're going to have to do it. I mean, now if you're a hardcore mixed martial arts fan that wants to watch live UFC, this is a weekly commitment to uh, be watching this stuff in the middle of the night but uh yeah, yeah i'm excited for you man it'll be a good good deal yeah i gotta i'm gonna be loading up the ipad on some things to watch over there on the plane uh going over there but uh, we will have a show here next week uh let's get into agree disagree for this week so we got two agree disagree for you uh one comes from sean o'malley the other comes from chris cyborg uh sean o'malley he was on arahawani's show last week and uh, the headline over MMAfighting.com says, Sean O'Malley confident rounds one and three were clearly mine. And Peter Jan Wynn advises critics to re-watch the fight. And this was his quote on the MMA Hour. He goes, the thing is, that was the narrative to kind of going into that fight. It was like, Sean's so lucky it's not five rounds. Well, it didn't look like that. But yeah, I think rounds one and three were clearly mine. I think a lot I think a lot of the people initially that came out and were just so mad that I won were all the same exact people that were saying I was going to get absolutely smoked. So then I go in there and win and now they're having a tough time. But yeah, I highly recommend everyone go back and rewatch the fight before you make your solid opinion. Uh, before I kind of get your take on, on agree to screw here on Sean O'Malley, I remember listening to the Anakin Florian podcast last week 
And Kenny Florian pretty much made this case that the fact of he thought it was a it was one three for Sean O'Malley round two uh, for Jan here. I don't know if I would say I'm confident in w- rounds one and three. I just think I think it was a close fight. Yeah, look, I think without a doubt, round three is O'Malley's round. I disagree with what Sean said. A couple things. Sean's performance against Peter Jan was very impressive. Look at the betting odds of the fight. Sean should be proud of what he did, and he's probably going to get a championship fight next. But I, I do think he lost round one, and I do think he lost round two. The rounds themselves were close, and the round where O'Malley got the knockdown, Jan bounced back with a knockdown of his own. And I just felt like in both rounds one and two, upon a rewatch, uh, Peter had the effective striking advantage in rounds one and two. The best way to check whether or not it was a robbery, whether or not it was a bad decision, in my personal opinion, is looking at the MA media scores and MA decisions. Because you're getting a wide Mm -hmm. range of opinions from people in real time when they're watching the fight. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about 25 out of 26 journalists scored it for Peter Yan. I believe Peter Yan won round one and two. I believe Peter Yan has a pretty good case that he should be an undefeated mixed martial artist. He has so many blemishes on his record, and you can make a case he should be undefeated. Uh, So I feel bad for him. So I'm not going to hop on the narrative that O'Malley clearly won this fight. I I, I do think it was close, and I do think O'Malley should get the championship fight. But this is a fight that upon a rewatch, I still scored 29-28 Peter Yan. I had not looked at how the media scored this fight. I'm surprised how many people had it 30-27 for Jan. Yeah, I thought I thought Jan lost three. Pretty clearly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's uh And all three judges gave gave uh Sean a third round. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I disagree with Sean, but I mean do we both do you agree with me that he's probably getting the fight for the championship next? Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that's the that's the likely scenario. Uh, let's go to uh, topic number two here. This is Chris Cyborg. Uh, this comes from an article over on MMA Junkie that was uh, a quote from an interview that she had on Henry Cejudo's YouTube channel. Uh, the headline, Chris Cyborg, everyone calls a man Nunez women MMA goat, but it's not just one fight. And this is uh, Chris's quote. You guys all call Amanda goat, but man, she has more losses than me. She don't say 14 years undefeated. Okay, I lost a fight against her. Yeah, but it happens. You know, sometimes it's not your day. Sometimes it happens. But the history, how long, it's not just one fight. So I agree with what Chris Cyborg saying there. Determining someone's GOAT status is not about what they do in one night. However, Daniel, I started looking at the career resumes of Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunez. If I told you, if could you say Chris Cyborg has more than three notable, marketable wins... I don't know if I could name the fourth. So what three are you saying? Marlos Kunin, back in strike force, Peter twice, Holly Holm, and I would throw Julia Butt as a notable win. There's another one I would throw in there. Who's the fourth one? I would throw Gina Carano in there. I know Gina's talent level isn't, you know, better than Leslie Smith or 
or Lena Landsberg, but that was a major win in in, in the time. It, you know, Cyborg was a favorite, but I, I get what you're saying. But dude, like when you flip to Amanda Nunez, more to your point, Misha Tate, okay. Ronda Rousey, Valentina right. Shevchenko, Chris Cyborg. Literally, I I, so I started writing this down and I put Nunez. Uh, Shevchenko was the first name I wrote down. By far, outside of Cyborg, that's her best win. And the thing about Chris is Chris has been doing this a long time. You can't write the history of women's mixed martial arts without talking about Chris Cyborg. But the problem is sports evolve. And if you look at the run that Chris Cyborg had of being a undefeated, unbeaten fighter, I should say, the problem is a lot of those fighters, if you put them up against the fighters that a man Nunez is competing with right now, I don't think they stand much of a shot of beating these girls. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. And look, simply put, Chris Cyborg is the third, in my rankings, the third best female fighter of all time behind Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko. The fight opponent quality is higher for Shevchenko and Nunez. Also, the way they fight, you can see Amanda would... You know, firstly, Amanda beat Chris Cyborg, but Amanda was more well-rounded, as was Shevchenko, more skillful, as was Shevchenko. It's like this, bro. A team, if you are a fan of college football, a team that went through the SEC schedule and lost two times is probably better than a team that was in the Sun Belt and went undefeated. Mm -hmm. Oh, no question. UCF fans going to come after you. Watch. You better watch out. And what happens when they make the playoffs? They're going to get blown out. Their head coach is going to go to a Power 5 conference, and they're going to get fired in three years. The thing is, like, when you said Shevchenko, you had her above Chris Cyborg. My my first initial thought was, really? But then I just thought about it. I was like, the one thing that Amanda and Valentina have over Chris Cyborg, they've done it in two different weight classes. That's a good call. Yeah, that too. I'd forgotten about that idea, but... Yes, yes. And, and and again, I would point to the skill. When you watch the fights, when you watch the fights, Valentina and Amanda, it, it showcased it had more skill. It's why we consider um, uh, current guys maybe better on the all-time rankings than mm-hmm. someone who won a UFC championship in 2003. Yeah. You know? It's why Derek Lewis today is probably above Tim Sylvie on the all-time heavyweight rankings. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I think Chris is right in what she says that it's more about one fight. But I think the problem that that Chris has, and it, it seems like she and her team continue to try to to broach this conversation out there. It's like at the end of the day, we got to look at resume. Like, well, like when we think about greatest of all time to do what they do in their sport. Like, if we want to take it from a football aspect, like Tom Brady, we look at what he has done in terms of the amount of rings that he has and, and, you know, now doing it with two different organizations. You look at what Michael Jordan has done. You look at what LeBron James has done, Kobe Bryant, um, Serena Williams. I I think if we want to bring it to a tennis aspect, you know, it it, to me, it's just about is like there has to be your resume comes in there. And that to me is the biggest thing that hurts Chris Cyborg is how that resume looked. And and particularly like in her Bellator run, has she really faced competition that's got you thinking she might lose? No, no. Yeah, no. I mean. For Chris Cyborg, if you take her logic on determining the greatest of all time, well, 
Then I guess it's Kayla Harrison. Which I mean is the fight we want to see, but I just don't think we're ever going to see it happen. I, I, I you know, it would be. So I, I saw some interaction with Chris on Twitter where she was basically asked and, and she didn't respond of whether Don Davis had ever reached out to her. Um, I haven't asked about this in a couple of weeks, but my understanding is that it may have been more Twitter fingers than anything else of trying to make this fight happen. Um, as a combat sports fan, I hope Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg happens, but I'm not holding my breath on it. Yeah, I think it's going to happen, but I agree with you that it's unlikely. It's uh I just feel like it's going to happen, but, you know, I could be wrong. I thought, uh, you know, I thought Jones and Ghana was going to happen and don't think we're going to get that. No, no, no. I mean, I, I saw Jones the other day was basically <laughs> insinuating that he's trying to do whatever he can to make this Stipe fight happen. But it sounds like the issues on the Stipe and UFC side of the equation on that one, which is uh, it's just unfortunate, man. I want to see John Jones get back in there and see what John Jones looks like as a heavyweight. Yeah, we have so many great fighters where it's like, man, they left a lot of prime years on the table. Habib, GSP, John Jones, for different reasons, obviously. I, uh, I'll, throw, I'll throw another name at you. Who's that? Fedor. Yeah. What if yeah. What if we would have saw back in the day Fedor versus Brock before Brock had his health issues? What does that fight look like? Oh, my God. I don't know. That's straight out of a pride January 1st New Year's Eve show. Dude, I mean, like, if you had, you know, gone back to, to circa 2010, 2009 and said you're, the UFC is putting on Fedor versus Brock, you could have put that thing in Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, that was a big fight. It really was, man. Yeah, I think, would you say Brock is the number two or three biggest draw in the UFC history? Behind Connor, yeah, I think it's probably two, but yeah, I think it's probably is two. I don't know yeah, I, I, always... because the one thing that Brock had that ability is he had that ability to bring that wrestling fan over too. Yeah, and and, and just he, I mean, and and for people who weren't watching him at that time, I mean, Brock was just a freak of nature with what he could do at his size. With, with, I mean, some of the stuff that he did, he's one of those guys that what if MMA was as big as it is now when Brock finished up his collegiate wrestling career at Minnesota? What could he, he have been if he went full scale in MMA at that point? Yeah, he probably would have been less of a draw, but better of a fighter. <laughs> I mean, the WWE thing did help him. Huh. Uh, but yeah, from a pure athletic standpoint, I mean, he's still performing well in the WWE yeah, I think what I'm thinking on my list is probably Connor one, Brock two, Ronda Rousey three. I think those are the three biggest draws in UFC history. Yeah, oh, yeah. Then, yes. then we can start talking about the Diaz brothers as, as well Wait. as Anderson GSP. Because those three fighters had the ability to bring non-combat sports fans to the television set. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. We were doing a preseason game in Buffalo, and this is like the rise of Conor McGregor. And I remember it was like, I think we were, it was like a, a Saturday night game, maybe a Sunday game. And I remember it was in the preseason. And I'm sitting there just having breakfast down in the team room. And, you know, one of the guys comes up to me and goes, Hey, man, when's that Conor fight happening? And I'm like, You know who Conor McGregor is? Oh, yeah. And that's when I realized, like, 
okay, this kid's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, you know, it's much like boxing. Those specific guys that just transcend the sport. Floyd, Pacquiao, those are the guys. And, and McGregor and, and Rousey, those were the guys and gals. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you think about Ronda, I mean, good Lord. I mean, I, I, she brought people to the, the television set that you never realized would be even interested in, in mixed martial arts. Uh, mission about last weekend's MMA. Um, unfortunately, man, this year just seems to be cursed with UFC pay-per-view, or excuse me, UFC main events. Calvin Cater, man, send the healing vibes out to Calvin Cater. But also, I feel bad for Arnold Allen. This is a guy that came into this matchup going, I got a chance to make a statement and show I should be the next guy to challenge Alexander Volkanovsky and an injury happens. Uh, I saw an image uh, come across my, my Facebook timeline. It noted the four major injuries we have seen uh, in MMA this year. I just want to pull up. Uh, did I delete that image? So it was um, Alexander Rakic. Calvin Cater. God, who are the other ones? I can't believe I deleted that. Let me see if it's in my it, it happened in the Yair fight, right? Yeah, Yair yeah, Rodriguez. Or no, Ortega was the one that got hurt. Uh, or, or, Ortega got hurt against Yair, I'm pretty sure. I swore. Did I send you that image maybe in a text message? I don't think I got it. So but it was so it's it was four guys. It was Rakic, Yair. Calvin, who's the fourth? Well, no, because Ortega got hurt against Yair. Yeah, yeah, Ortega, yeah. not Yair. Yeah, um, who's the fourth? All right, let me look. Let me look at this. Let me look at this division. Um, was it another? Well, TJ, but that doesn't really count. That's no, it, it wasn't Dillashaw. Um, um, you said Rakic. <laughs> Looking at lightweight, I'm looking at a welterweight. Look, I'm just gonna I, do Google. I, I know, I know, I saw it on my Facebook timeline. Um, I want to say it was Fight Bananas, but but Fight Bananas on Facebook, great, uh, great page to follow. Um, oh, I got the UFC injury tracker, so I'm sure I'll be able to figure that out fairly quickly. Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith, but I feel like it was a main Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. He's a man. He's a heavyweight from England. Tom Aspinall. Oh, Aspinall. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That that, that was compelling uh, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. It's like I was earlier today. I was like, I got to pull that image up. So I have it for the show. And then I just forgot. Let me, let me, let me tell you this. Uh, When you talk about the criticism of the Apex cards, what just happened on our podcast is perfect example of the problem of oversaturation. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this in the restroom. From like 2008 to 2012, I had so many memories mm-hmm. of fight night events, of things that happened. Pat Barry and Chet Congo, you know, some of those fight for the troops cards. It was all all those great Diego Sanchez fights. It was all mm-hmm. In my brain, and I always remembered it and recalled it, but because we just get streamlined card after card after card, and a lot of them aren't very good, we have trouble remembering the four major injuries that happened in this specific year. It's also when you have 600 fighters on the UFC roster, it's also kind of hard to keep up with it, too. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's like, like if someone if someone said, Jason, 
I got a million dollars for you. Tell me the main event of some fight night card in December right now. Oh. I couldn't do it. I don't think I could do it. Yeah, I don't think I could do it either. It's uh I couldn't tell you a single one. Who uh here so okay. The good thing for Arnold Allen is Volk's going to fight for the lightweight championship next. So there's some yep. time for one more fight to determine mm-hmm. another weight contender. Against Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen's stand-up looked really good. He yeah, was did. landing really well, and this is a guy who I really want to see fight for the title. So moving forward, which featherweight would you match Allen up with to determine the guy to welcome Volk back to featherweight? Gaia Rodriguez. I agree with you. That's a, And that's nice, like, logic, too, right? Both guys were on the precipice of challenging for a title. Mm-hmm. Both guys had their opponent get injured. Yeah, I think we solved it. Joe uh, uh, McMaynard, Sean Shelby, we, we did your work for you. Arnold Allen, Yair Rodriguez, put it, and make, put it in pen. If you're going to do Islam and Volk in Australia in the February pay-per-view, put that fight on that card. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Great, great way to kind of basically sell the, the next potential matchup there. Um, ha- go ahead. I was gonna say, has Islam talked about going down to one forty five? I don't think he. Title? I. I don't think yeah. so. I don't think he can make forty five. Man, he's he's a he's a big dude. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. So what what else do you think of this card? It was kind of you know not a lot going on, but there was some stuff. Feel bad for my guy Dustin Jacoby. Thought thought he won the matchup, but. Uh, I was w- watching this clip on YouTube of Safe Saud, and he said something really interesting. He was talking about open scoring and MMA judging, and he actually brought up this fight. By the way, uh, fan of open scoring or not, as someone has to work these corners and try to figure out what the judges are, are thinking. I, I, I think that open scoring at this point has a lot more positives than negatives. And, you know, people can say whatever they want, but it's, it's progressively seeming to get worse, right? It's not progressively seeming to get better. So if, if it was getting better, and let me tell you something, let me give Nevada State Athletic Commission a ton of credit here. Okay. I was a part of a Zoom call about two or three months ago with uh, uh, Jeff, is now Mullins is now the new uh, commissioner, and this guy is fantastic. I mean, he reaches out, Hey, let's talk, let's chat. I had a fight that I was like, I got scored kind of weird. He goes, let me watch the fight, watches the fight, then meets with me and says, Hey, this is what I thought about X, Y, and Z on Monday. Wow. You know? So yeah. And what they did was they put together a, a panel. Uh, it was me, Eric Mixick and John Wood. And it was all the judges and I'm not going to say them all, but there were a lot of them. We did a zoom call for like two hours and we went through tape and we watched videos and then we all scored the fights and wow. it was a damn good, it was, and it was a damn great step in the right direction. And, uh, it was a very productive phone call and you know, is it perfect? No, but it was a start. And I want to recognize Jeff and the Nevada state athletic commission for doing that. That being said, it was still pretty funky this weekend and it's still pretty funky all the time. And, you know, us coaches, uh, you know, Eric had some great questions and John as well. And we're not there yet, man. We're not. And, you know, when, when a loss, you know, and I'm not going to get into round tree Jacoby, yeah, this, yeah. that, and the other, but when a loss changes your trajectory of somebody's whole career, Jacoby was on a seven or eight fight streak, you know, and now, now, and he was a ranked fighter. So now his whole trajectory changes. 
and, and you know, and, and obviously we as fighters, God bless Khalil. I'm glad he got a win bonus. We never want to see somebody not win, but we do want to kind of have a pretty good idea when we're watching a fight, where are we at in this fight? So to your point, if open scoring would dictate that and we're going in a fight, Dustin Jacoby goes in that third round and goes, what the hell? I thought it was up, but I'm not. And he presses on the gas. Why don't we talk about that being just as important as people laying off the gas, right? And, you know, maybe they could do something where if you, you know, you get in an activity or something, I don't, I don't know, but I would say that there's definitely many more positives for open scoring than there are negatives. And I, and I think that that trend is continuing. So I don't know why it's such a big deal. And everyone points to, well, the person's going to do absolutely nothing. Well, then the whole world's going to watch a person be a coward and do nothing in the third round. Like, I don't think fighters really think that way. Right. Like, and I think if a fighter thinks he's up anyway, he's going to be a little bit more careful in spots anyway. So I think that, you know, you could look at it both ways, but again, I feel like we are still not in a place where, where we feel like we are trending upward, even though the effort is there. I need to say that. Biggest takeaway, Daniel, from what Safe Saoud said there was talking about a Zoom meeting with the Navaste Athletic Commission judges. Uh, that to me was the biggest takeaway from what Safe Saoud said there. Yeah, that's a that's a great thing that they did there. And in addition to that, the speed in which Jeff Mullins got back to him on his request was very impressive. And if they maintain that energy, that's telling me that the Nevada State Athletic Commission is going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And that differs from maybe some of the stories we've heard from others when it comes to dealing with different athletic commissions. So that's great. Um, I agree with the open scoring. I I agree with what he said. And I I think that's the direction we're moving in. It's really going to come down to buy-in from Dana White in the UFC. But that's 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 a big thing. And I don't think it's there yet. But I will say... Having watched the sport for a long time, bad scoring has been a part of it. And uh, I feel like there's less bad scoring now than there was 12 years ago, but there's still a lot of bad scoring. It's a a minor decrease. And this is something that wouldn't cure bad scoring, but it would absolutely make it easier to swallow if you're a combatant. You know, I mean, think about how maybe Peter Yan would have fought in round three had he known the score. So I, I do think um, the idea that it's going to make fights more boring, it's going to get balanced out by the guy down on the scorecards trying to be more aggressive. I think the big part about that is, I think it comes down to is, I mean, we've all seen a boxing matchup where one guy is clearly up multiple rounds heading to the 12th round, and we just see that fire just not doing anything in the final round. I think that's where it comes from. But you make the tremendous point there of saying, until Dana White, and I'll throw Mark Ratner's name into this equation, until they publicly come out and say they're on board with open scoring, I don't think we are going to see open scoring become a thing in major mixed martial arts competition. Yeah, yeah, and it, it doesn't me wonder, are we waiting until Dana and Mark Ratner move on? Till that becomes part of it, because I don't necessarily know if there will be anything that will sway them to move in that direction. Right. I, I just these these are two guys I don't anticipate will make that move, but I could be wrong. It, it makes me wonder is no matter who's running the UFC, at what point of the conversation is how much money do we make in commercial commercial inventory with that ad read 
in between the end of the fight and the and, and Bruce Buff for coming in and announce the scorecards? Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. But I also wonder if you won't see a decrease in viewers because of that. I do wonder if that viewer will keep the TV on the will keep the 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 show on regardless if they already know because I I don't think it's going to be a lot of people that are going to be tuning out because they already have a good idea what the decision is. I could be wrong, but you are right. That's a very important part, and I think that's probably the biggest reason why the UFC would want to keep it the way it is to build that suspense and the belief that you're going to not lose viewers. So I, I think that's true, but I, I would say maybe. People aren't tuning out because they know this guy's up 2018 heading into round three. Looking at some other takeaways from the UFC card, my neck just felt awful as I'm seeing Josh Frim get choked out by Treshawn Gore. Like, I felt my neck was hurting. Dude, and then also when Treshawn let go of the submission and he, and he just got that hardcore whiplash, I agree with you. Uh, Gore, you know, he continues to improve. He still doesn't look like a, a world beater quite yet, but he's literally like five fights into his career. Showcased good wrestling and grappling in this fight. Obviously not a perfect game, but a hell of a guillotine choke, a really memorable moment. I think when I look at this fight card, what stuck out to me, firstly, Marcos Rogerio de Lima's win over Andre Arlovsky was very impressive. The way he was able to put down Arlovsky and ultimately finish him. I thought a middleweight Roman Delonzi, really good win over Phil Hawes. Nice finish. Really enjoyed the fight between Waldo Cortez Acosta and Jared Vanderaw. Really enjoyed Waldo's punching in his stand-up ability. Jared had some nice kicks. You know, Tim Means versus Max Griffin, it wasn't a stereotypical Tim Means fight, but it was still enjoyable. And then I thought the other thing was, you know, Chase Hooper, I mean, I think that's the end of the line for him in the UFC. He just got outclassed against Steve Garcia on the feet, and it was tough to watch. So for Chase, he's incredibly young. I think he's going to make his way back to the UFC but it's clear the stand-up deficiency is just way too bad for him. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I just had that fight. I thought, I thought he was going to be able to take advantage of the wildness of, of Steve Garcia and take the and take the matchup to the ground. Boy, was I wrong. Because no, he yeah. just got. I mean, he got lit up on the feet, and like you're watching that fight, and you just feel bad for Chase Hooper. Like, there's nothing he can do. Yeah, he was all purple, bro. Like he. Uh... If he waited two days, he could have just been Barney the Dinosaur for Halloween because he was that shade of purple all over. I mean, it was brutal. It was it was one of those fights where it's like the referee would have been okay at stopping the fight just because it wasn't getting any better for, for Hooper. You know, earlier in the day on Saturday was the Bellator card. I, I was watching the card, and during the broadcast, it was very evident to me that the message Bellator was trying to send off is, Hey, watch Fabian Edwards. He could be challenging next to the middleweight title, which I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did we all forget this guy named Gegard Musasi? Did we all just forget who this guy is? And I'm just like, and then the funny thing is, the next day I'm doing my Bellator rankings, I'm going, wow, Fabian Edwards is nowhere near number two in my rankings. Yeah. I think, I, I, think I have him at like number six. Well, let, me pull, let me pull my Bellator rankings here. Pull up your Bellator rankings. Uh, yeah, I think I have like a number six in middleweight. Because the thing is, like, and, and middleweight, you, you know how MMA math is, man. Everyone's kind of fun. Everyone. So at, at middleweight, so I've got uh, obviously Gay Guard number one challenger. <laughs> if you don't have Gay Guard number one, I'd really have a lot of questions for you. Yeah. Really have a lot of questions for you. Uh, two, I have John Salter. John's been around for a long time, and he's kind of become the gatekeeper in this division. Uh, three, I have Anatoly Tokov. 
Number four, I have Aaron Jeffrey coming off that win against Austin Vanderfort. I have Vanderfort at five. I have uh, Costello Vanstinas at six. Fabian Edwards at seven. Okay. I think uh, I, I, I think that three to six, three to seven group can be kind of interchangeable or four to seven. I would probably have Edwards at four, but it's close. Well, I mean, you got to remember, is, Edwards lost to Costello Vanstinas. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. He also but, lost yeah. to Vanderfort. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you got me. You got me. Think, think about this. Th- these are Fabian Edwards Bellator wins. Charlie Ward, Leota Machida, Mike Shipman. Those are your you notable. Know. Those are notable Fabian Edwards wins. I mean, look, I get why they're pushing Fabian Edwards because of his brother. Yeah. But yeah, he should not be. Challenging for the title next. He needs at least two more wins before he should be in that consideration. You 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 sold me. Uh, you're 100 percent right. He probably deserves to be seven. Uh, the, look, the fight against Charlie Ward wasn't impressive. Had he won impressively, he probably would have fought for the title next because it's obviously kind of what they were wanting. But uh, yeah, it wasn't the the best performance for him. But I mean, I to really, me, the only fight was that. I didn't really have any change in my rankings this this week, just because there just wasn't a ton. Well, I'm sure Mansoor got in there. Yes, yeah, he de- he definitely got. I don't I don't think he made the top ten. He's he's in. I have him. I want to say I put him at number eight. Yeah. Let, me look, let me look here. I have him. Uh, no, I put him at ten. I put him at ten. Yeah, I think I had I had Piccolotti at ten before. Yeah, I think uh, he's going to climb up those rankings uh, as he continues to fight because, uh, damn, he looked good. I mean, that to me is the takeaway from Bellator. Uh, the first three fights on the main card weren't very exciting. But the main event was just a, a, a phenomenal performance from Mansoor. And at, at lightweight, he's an interesting new name. I mean, the idea of him taking on AJ McKee, that's a good fight down the line. And uh, its uh, I'm excited to see Mansoor's career here in Bellator. Yeah, I'm just pulling up Bellator's website. Let me see here. Let's go to lightweight. Yeah, he's not in the top 10 right now. Yeah, that's crazy. I think he yeah. deserves to be top 10. I think he deserves the, the, to be the, the official Bellator lightweight rankings and my rankings are just two totally different rankings. I think like, you're probably one of the few guys that are taking it seriously, man. Like Usman is number one in the uh, official rankings. He's number three in mine. Uh, so in the official rankings, Benson Henderson is number two. Benson Henderson is number six in mine. Yeah. Sorry, Benson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have I have Alexander Shalby at number two. Shalby is number five. Uh, Musayev is number three. I have him. I have him at number one. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. My sometimes my I there's sometimes I go like I I, and I, I mean I looked like when I put my rankings I I make sure like I don't want any I don't want any f ups like I don't want any f ups I don't want to be that guy that gets called out on social media. Yeah, I think your rankings are pretty stellar. It seems like a lot of people kind of maybe get influenced by the narrative that you see on the broadcast, maybe, or the fight placement, and, yeah. and that's evident in the rankings. And you're yeah. kind of just looking at the real things that happen. Um, by by the way, this week's MMA, uh, the main event of uh, the UFC card is a noble matchup uh, between Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos. Uh, um, uh, Marina Rodriguez, she noted today that she feels like she's fighting for a title shot. And I would absolutely agree with her. She's number three uh, in, in the top 10 rankings. I would say that if she gets a win against Amanda Lemos. Uh, Amanda Lemos was one of the uh, Brazilian fighters that really had trouble getting out of Brazil this 
week of some things going on there. She did land in Vegas uh, here on Wednesday. Uh, Magni, Daniel Rodriguez, I, I think that should be a fun matchup there. Um, I have my eyes on this Grant Dawson, Marco Matson. My guess is because of how strong both those guys are when it comes to the grappling, that probably ends up being a little bit of a stand-up matchup. Um, Mar Batiste, always a fun guy that I'd like to to see compete there. Um, Miranda Maverick, the biggest betting favorite on this one. She's she she's another one that's caught my eyes this weekend. Yeah, uh, I look. I think Rodriguez Lemos is a really good fight, man. I'm excited for it. I think Marina's going to win a decision here. I think it's going to be a great stand-up fight. Uh, Magni Rodriguez is, is a good one. I think Magni beats Daniel Rodriguez, and I think Grant Dawson and Mark Madsen's the best fight of the fight card. It's the fight that I want to watch the most. Madsen's got an undefeated resume, and he's looked really good, just hasn't had a whole lot of fights in the UFC. Uh, I'm liking Dawson over Madsen, but I do think that's a pretty good fight. You know, Johnny Munoz is an interesting guy at Bantamweight. You mentioned Mario Batista. It's a good little card. It doesn't, you know, knock my socks off. It's not something that's appointment viewing, but obviously it's something we'll talk about next week. But, I mean, next week it's going to be uh, next week it's going to be full steam ahead, man. I mean, it's pay-per-view time, and uh, that's probably what we'll be talking about next week. Yeah, so I'll be at a wedding on Saturday. I have a feeling it's not going to be on anyone's phones. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is my buddy's getting married. He's a Miami Hurricane fan. You know who Miami plays this week? Florida State. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So during the wedding reception will be when the game is happening. Oh, my God. Well, is he going to have the game on at the wedding reception? Oh, I'll be monitoring score. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be monitoring score. And I'll, I'll be sure to you know throw little nuggets in there. And say, hey, uh, you want to know the score of the game? He might sit there and just tell me, put the goddamn uh, game on your phone, Jason. Come on, let's watch this game. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be in the doghouse one night into the into the marriage. It's like I always say, happy wife, happy life, man. Hey, man, I would never get married during football season. I'm just gonna say it. I uh, never get married. That that's why I did not get married during football season. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I, I, I was already involved in football at that time. So, yeah, you, you don't want to find yourself in that situation of could like, could you imagine like if you got married, like in the first part of February, your team's in the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is on your anniversary day. You played yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would be hilarious if your Super Bowl is on the anniversary, every Super Bowl. You got to go out to, you know, PF Chang's instead of watching the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, that that's yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that day when you get married, you know, and you know, your lady goes, "Hey, let's get married in February." You're like, "No, we're not." I'm gonna be a lot. I'm gonna be a lot like Jake Paul. I'm gonna be like, "All right, we have a couple of months in the summer. We we are going up against major sports after the NBA Finals, before the first week of college football." And let's make sure we don't do it on a UFC pay-per-view day. All right, let's get it. There there has been some UFC pay-per-views on my on my uh, wedding anniversary. Damn, that's a tough one. Oh, so your wedding, you have it. So yeah, for sure not getting married on a Sunday. I mean, on a Saturday. That's out of the equation. Yeah, right? we, we got, yeah, yeah my, my anniversary is June 14th. Yeah, I can't, I can't miss uh, Sean O'Malley versus Conor McGregor four years from now. <laughs> You know, if we ever see Conor McGregor back in the UFC cage, you know. Oh, we'll see him. We'll see him. I mean, hopefully he's wearing all his clothes, but we'll see him. 
Yeah, but uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Ameriport Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in to listen or watch this episode if you're watching it over there on YouTube. Of course, we'll be back uh, next week. A uh, show will probably drop on... I think we still record Monday night, so uh, yeah. so will probably drop on Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, I will have an episode come up on Sunday. I mentioned uh, Cody Brunich, one of the guests that has scheduled to join me. So appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, uh, check out the podcast, YouTube Out Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we will talk to you on the next episode of the MMA Report Podcast. <laughs>